welcome. Like Christ's followers of previous generations, we are all recipients of God's extravagant hospitality. With open arms, Christ welcomes all. Together as Tabernacle Baptist Church, we seek to understand God's call on our lives personally and collectively through Scripture, the leading of the Holy Spirit, the example and teaching of Jesus Christ, and our experience as a community of Christ followers. Through our callings, we strive for deliberate engagement in our core values of mission, discipleship, worship, and fellowship. Hearing and responding to God's call, we are becoming an increasingly diverse church family. Our experience with Christ reveals a Savior who is calling and equipping all to share in the kingdom of God. We commit to embody and uphold that invitation with persons of every age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic situation, intellectual or physical capability, gender identity, and sexual orientation represented in our midst. Through hospitality, worship, prayer, Bible study, large and small group conversation, and discernment, we partner with all Christ followers as our lives intertwine with one another, from birth to death and in between, especially in our calling, church membership, baptism, marriage, ordination to deacon service and vocational ministry, and mission. Amid the beauty and tension of our diversity, we find room to agree and disagree, to ask questions and hear responses, to be vulnerable with one another, to move into and away from dialogue as needed, all with grace and respect for our needs and the needs of our neighbors. Above all, we affirm a unanimous desire to serve God and to love others as Christ has loved us. Wherever you are out there in the world, we want you to know that we're thrilled you're with us. Welcome home. Welcome to Tabernacle Baptist Church. Will you please prepare your hearts for worship? in my pocket everybody sorry about that. what words or phrases or images come to mind when i say the words holy spirit for you um mysterious wind breath life that's all i got i think no, ghost <laughs> yeah i don't really understand the Holy Spirit. It's not something we really talked about a lot growing up, uh, except for in the context of the Trinity. It's kind of like Father, uh, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> you know, he was in there, but I'm not really sure what, what it's all about. Um, I think it's a spirit of calmness in especially times that are chaotic. Um, I tend to be a very anxious person by nature, um, so that I, I know that uh, that calm spirit is not necessarily me, but it is um, the spirit within me. Come Holy Spirit.
welcome to worship. And if you're watching in the evening, good evening. We want you to know that it is the week of June the 28th of the year 2020. As a local congregation that has been planted here, rooted here at the corner of Grove and Meadow now for over 130 years, we know that we have for all of those generations worshiped a God that has walked with us through each, uh, each chapter of our lives that seems like it's chaos at any given moment. Sometimes it feels like beautiful chaos, sometimes not so much. How are things going in your chaos these days? I don't know about you, but over these last couple of weeks, I've hit another wall. And in that wall, I have found myself giving myself permission to feel sorry for myself, probably for a week longer than I should have. I'm guessing the same is true of you and talking to many of you. Uh, I think the, the virus kind of coming, uh, raging back in so many other states, it's just, it's hard to stay encouraged. I want to remind you today that as we gather for worship today as a communal body and throughout the week ahead as we engage with worship, it is our hope that we will find our source of strength in the gathering together, in the testifying. It is our hope that when we gather together for worship as a local congregation, that we will feel connected to the larger church, the universal church, or what we like to call the Big C Church. Let's take this time together and find ourselves in a place where we are giving God our full focus and the best that we have to offer. And and that means our honesty, our vulnerability. Come as you are and trust that you will walk away changed. As we move into our worship service today, I want you to know that next week when we gather together, we will be partaking of communion. And so we'll, we'll try to make some announcements through the week to remind people, but regardless of when you're engaging in worship on, in the week of July 5th, we hope that you'll have elements prepared juice or wine and any form of bread that you can you can partake of communion with together and with that said now i wonder if you won't take an opportunity to pass the peace of christ to one another make good use of the chat if you're comfortable using it if not just say it out loud and trust that god will whisper it in others ears creatively but let's take a moment now and pass the peace of christ to one another welcome to worship
Nicene Creed dates from 325 AD. It's used as an ecumenical statement of the Christian faith by many different denominations. Baptists generally aren't creed people, but it is important to be familiar with these ancient statements because much of what we believe are based on these teachings. For the past two Sundays, we've heard the creed statement about God and Jesus. Today, we add the creed statement about the Holy Spirit. I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. Now please join the choir as we sing Holy Spirit, Breathe on me.
Good morning, boys and girls. This is Pastor Jerusha, and it's our children's moment. Today, we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God who lives in us. Can you believe that God wants to dwell within us? Well, look at this balloon. Or if you have one of these COVID gloves, look at this COVID glove. It has no energy. It has no life. You know, sometimes we feel down and blah, blah, depressed. Sometimes we feel so sad when we've lost a pet or a loved one. Or we feel blah when we are feeling ouchies all over our body and need to go to the hospital. Sometimes our friendships, they go blah, lifeless. When our friend says, hmm, I don't want to be friends with you. But the Holy Spirit can fill us like this. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. He can fill us wherever we are. You know, when my daughter and I were in hospital and she was treated with cancer, we used to use these gloves and just feel God's presence in us. God's Holy Spirit can breathe into us. And we change. We grow. We feel lighter. And guess what? We can move and go places with God's Spirit. Repeat after me. Breathe on me, breath of God. John 14, verses 14 to 26. Great. If you love me, you will, you will keep my commandments, and you will ask the Father, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate he, to, be your, you, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you in a little while. I will no, I will no longer be seen, but you will see me because I live I live. 
because I live. You also live. You also because I live. You also will live. On that on that day, you know that I am the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by the Father, and I will love them, and reveal myself to them. Judas said to him, Lord, now it is is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered to him, Those who live, who love me, keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them. We will come to them, and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still here with you, but the Advocate. The Holy Spirit, who will, who the Father will send to my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the least understood part of the Trinity, I think, right? I wish I could tell you that today I were going to clear everything up and make it easy to understand this mystery and elusiveness of the Spirit, but I'm not. It's been this way since the very beginning. Even the Nicene Creed that we read earlier, the original version didn't include all those details as the one that we heard just now, that the Spirit is the giver of life and the Spirit spoke through the prophets and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. The original version of the spirit of the creed said only this, I believe in the Holy Ghost, period. That's it. That's all we got about the spirit. Early Christian writers and thinkers and pastors struggled to come up with language and theology to talk about the work of the spirit just as much as we do now. 2000 years later, we still haven't pinned her down. We still don't completely understand this elusive mystery of God. You might notice that I called the spirit she. It's become a bit of a trend among some pastors and teachers, but it's rooted in the biblical text itself, that the word in the Old Testament that we use to talk about the spirit is ruah, breath of God, a feminine noun. It's the Ruah, the feminine noun, that hovers over the waters in Genesis 1. The Ruah that moves from Saul to David in the book of Samuel. The Ruah that speaks through the prophets. Somewhere along the way, this feminine noun got melded with another feminine noun in scripture, Sophia, or wisdom. Often we hear this referred to as woman wisdom, the personification of God's wisdom in the form of a woman. And these two kind of get interwoven together. 
in Christian history and come to us as this feminine part of God, the wisdom and spirit of God. But there are other things that we learn about the spirit from the Bible, right? From the biblical story. I took some time this week to reread some different chunks of uh, the biblical narrative where the, the spirit plays a prominent role. Some of them were stories I'd heard before, and some of them I'm not sure I'd ever read. But it helped me understand why we haven't pinned the spirit down, because her roles are varied. She wears so many hats and faces throughout scripture. She's the breath of God, breathing life into all things. She's the creative force behind the people who are building the tabernacle in the final chapters of Exodus. She's the one inspiring their excellent work of the building of the tabernacle of God. She comes in the elements of wind and fire and stillness. She dwells in those called to lead God's people, and sometimes she leaves them. She said to move like the wind. That is, we can feel her, but we can't see her, and her path is not predictable. But we can see what she does, right? Like we can not see the wind, but we can see the trees moving in the breeze. We can see the fruits that the Spirit bears in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know these. We can also see the gifts of the Spirit at work in God's people, in teaching and preaching, in mercy and caregiving, in healing and faith and knowledge. And as Jesus says in our text for today from the Gospel of John, she's also a spirit of truth, helping us to discern what God is doing, reminding us of the teachings of Jesus. I love N.T. Wright's interpretation of this section of John and just the definition that he gives to the Spirit. He says that the Spirit is the inner life of God. And so the Spirit dwelling in us is the inner life of God dwelling inside of our hearts. The Spirit is more important now maybe than ever before. You might have heard me talk about Phyllis Tickle's book, The Great Emergence. It's a fabulous little book, maybe 150 pages. Tickle was a professor and an academic dean and a historian by trade. And this small book chronicles the history of Christianity in 500-year chunks. Phyllis says that every 500 years, the church undergoes a reformation, a reckoning, a rummage sale is the metaphor she uses, where the people of God are asked to clean house, to assess what is really important and to let go of the rest. We're in one of these times right now. But let's start from the beginning really quick, just so we can see how this works. It first happened in the sixth century. As the Roman Empire is declining, it leaves the church in social and political and cultural upheaval. And so the church shifts from Constantine's church, this religion of empire, to a community on the margins as Christians cloistered in convents and monasteries where the liturgy went on throughout the Dark Ages. 500 years after that, we have a second shift 
what we hear referred to as the Great Schism. This is written about in history books as the first major division in Christianity, a moment when disagreement comes over the language of the liturgy and the nature of theology, and it comes to an impasse between the church in the East, based in Constantinople, and the church in the West, based in Rome, and they each excommunicate one another creating what we know now as Eastern Orthodoxy on one hand and Roman Catholicism on the other. 500 years after that, those two strands break into, I don't know, 200 with, you know, the Reformation. This one has an exact date, October 31st, 1517. This is the day when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church, beginning the Reformation, the beginning of Protestantism, the birth of our own denominations, and again, a continued expansion of the diversity of Christian worship and practice. Tickle points out in her book that we've marked the 500 years 503 years ago this October was the Reformation, and we're moving into a new era, a new shift in the culture and center and authority of Christianity, of what it means to be the people of God, the great emergence, some call it, or the age of the Spirit. During this time, we're being asked to take stock of what matters most in Christian life, of what is the center and authority of Christian practice. That's what we've done each of these 500-year periods. In pre-500 CE, we have the empire and then Christianity fused with Rome This then becomes the monks and nuns and the rise of monasticism as the center of Christian practice during the Middle Ages. Then there's the consolidation of power in the West into the papacy in Rome. And then the Reformation, the undoing of that consolidation of power, where authority and centrality moves to something different, to Scripture. Here we are 500 years later, and Christianity is moving to the South globally, right? Where charismatic movements and Pentecostalism are growing. They are exploding rapidly. And here in the West, there's a revival of the contemplative tradition of Christian spirituality. Whether we realize it or not, we have entered the age of the spirit. She is our new center, our new authority for Christian life. It's a little scary, isn't it? It's scary to live through any kind of major transition like this. We have no idea what the outcome will look like. For as long as we've been alive, the center of Christianity has been the Bible, and now it will be something foreign and new. So what does it mean to live, to be, to become in the age of the Spirit? In John 16, John Jesus tells the disciples that he's leaving the Spirit for them as an advocate to dwell in them so that they might know truth, to be a conduit of sorts. Just as Jesus dwells with God, the Spirit will dwell in us to teach us everything we need to know and remind them of Jesus's teachings. 
Jesus understood, I think, that the disciples didn't get it as much as they thought they did. In just a few chapters from this moment, Jesus will die and the disciples will scatter. He knew, I think, that in the days and years to come, the disciples would need something, someone, to remind them of who they are, of who they're following when the road becomes unclear, to be their teacher and their guide through circumstances that they couldn't foresee, to remind them what Jesus taught them, and to remind them who God had created them to be. And that teacher, that guide wasn't something out here. It was something within them. The inner life of God, as N.T. Wright says, in the form of the spirit. It sounds almost like an Eastern tradition, I think. That the best teacher we have on how to follow Jesus as God's people doesn't live out here or even in the Bible, but within our hearts. Some 75 years ago, the German theologian Karl Rahner said this, The Christian of the future will be a mystic, or he won't exist at all. Wow, how prophetic, right? There are all kinds of spiritual teachers and ancient texts that we could look at to try to make sense of this age of the spirit. But what comes to mind for me is something written much more recently in Glennon Doyle's memoir, which I have read to you from before. It was just released this summer. And in it, um, I don't think Glennon would consider herself a mystic, but in it, she has this part that to me speaks deeply about what it means to dwell in the life of the spirit. She talks about this as the knowing with a capital K. She discovered this knowing in a season of her life when everything was chaotic and confusing, when she didn't know which way was up and which way was down, and she kept hearing the words of the psalmist echo in her head, be still and know that I am God. And so she decided that every day in the morning or the evening or in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night, she would open the door to her closet she would move all the dirty clothes to the side and she would take a seat and sit. She talks about how for the first days of doing this, maybe even weeks, that 10 minutes that she had committed to, to be still and be quiet and know that God was God felt like hours. That the only thing she knew during this time from this knowing was that she was hungry or itchy or that she had a sudden urge to check her email or to reorganize her pantry or to fold her laundry. <laughs> but after a few weeks, she says, she began to drop a little deeper into herself. It was quiet there. There were no voices, not even her own. Yet she could sense that there was something circulating, something below the surface. She says this, I would pose a question to it about my life in words or images, and I would feel this nudge, this prompting. Clarity would float to the surface. And when I acknowledged the nudge, I would feel this warmth spreading through my veins all over my body, like warm liquid gold 
strengthening and solidifying just enough to make me sturdy. What she learned in her closet in that year of her life where she committed to being quiet and still for 10 minutes every day is this. God lives in the deepness inside me, she says. And when I recognized God's presence and God's guidance, it was like God celebrated that by filling me with warmth, with liquid gold. What an image of the Holy Spirit, of the inner life of God dwelling within us. What if we were to let the Spirit become our guide for community, for how to love our neighbors, for discernment about how to be a part of the healing of the brokenness and the pain and the grief in our world? It would be about 180 degrees different, I think, from the way we normally come to things, from our heads, right? This is what we hear on the news and what we see as we scroll through Facebook, all of it coming from this place in us trying to understand intellectually, trying to engage mystery with logic and pain with statistics, the part of us that really just wants to be right, I feel it in myself too, right? But what if instead of being drawn to this part of us trying to make sense of the world, what if instead we found ourselves dropping deeper into our hearts, into the inner life of God in us? It's not the same thing as our own depths. It's God in our depths. What if we turned to this voice and trusted this voice and teaching and its guidance What if we let it be an advocate for us, as Jesus suggested, and guide us through uncharted waters and help us remember who we are created to be and remind us of the words and actions that Jesus taught us? Imagine with me, what would the church look like then? What would our world look like then if we all tapped in to the heart of God in us and took our cues accordingly. Glennon says it this way. Now I only take my orders from the knowing, she says, capital K. Whenever uncertainty arises, I get still and I sink beneath the swirling surf of words and fear and expectations and conditioning and advice, I feel for the knowing. And when the clarity rises to the surface, I trust it one step at a time. Church, we have entered the age of the spirit, whether we realized it or not. We're in the midst of another rummage sale, asking what it is that the church is called to do and be and what it is that it's time to let go of. It's a scary time. But like the disciples, Jesus knew we would need someone to help. We would need someone to show us the way and teach us the truth when it was beyond what we could see in scripture. This is the gift of the spirit. Inhale with me and exhale. The breath of God in us 
sink and still and listen. I believe the voice of God will show us a way beyond our wildest imagining. Amen. Today I'm going to be reading a poem called We Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Giver of Life. When we come to the third article of the two primary creeds that we confess, whether the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we essentially encounter the question, why do the first two articles of the creeds matter? What do they have to do with life? What life do we live in response to God as the creator and to God as the Christ? The life of and in and by the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life and the life of the world to come. This third section begins and ends with life, the life of the Spirit. And the life of the Spirit transforms us, causes us to evolve, to change, and to become more. Theologian Karl Reiner wrote that we are pressured from within by the Holy Spirit to evolve. If we picture God the Creator as an ineffable ocean and Christ as a river passing through and bounded by earth, then the Spirit is the rain that brings that life-giving water to the parched and distant places, transforming the land, growing green, producing luscious fruit. Or, if God is pictured as fire, and Christ is the light from that fire, then the Spirit is the heat that warms and transforms and bakes and melts away dross, creating something new. Have you noticed? Our hymns and prayers to the Spirit do not ask for something to be done in our place, in our stead. Our prayers to the Spirit ask that we continue to be pressured from within, to evolve, to change, to become the vessel of God that the universe needs us to be. Thank you, Houston and Judy. The one that transforms, the one that breathes, the one that nudges and at times shoves, the one that reframes perspective and in turn our role in ushering in the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit. As we gather now for a moment of prayer together, we're going to ask that you take a moment and think about what you are yearning for, what cries from your heart. If you're comfortable in sharing, we want you to do so. Use the chat and share with your church family and with the world what it is that your heart is yearning for and pray that the Spirit will breathe. For those of us that are not comfortable sharing because the, the details are too intimate, 
be, be vague about it. God knows the specifics. It's okay. And if you're not comfortable using the chat or if you're on Facebook using the comment section, that's okay too. God knows. We want to encourage you in some way to articulate in this moment where we prepare our hearts for prayer that you would find a way to articulate what it is that is on your heart. God hears. Let's take a moment and share. you pray with me? Gracious, life-giving God, Spirit of the living God, pour out on us. Inspirit us, inspire us, mobilize us. Spirit of God, as we continue to go deeper into our understanding of who you are in turn, we find ourselves going deeper into our understanding of what you've made us for. Give us the courage to live into it. Give us the courage to live into our identity. For you, Lord, are the one who teaches us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I don't know about y'all, but this has been a week full of ups and downs for me. Although there was joy, I also hit a breaking point. I have felt stressed and overwhelmed and yearning to be present. But today I can breathe because I have reminded myself that this is where I belong. As we transition into our offertory prayer, I want each of you to remember to love who you are right now because where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. You are loved, you are cared for, you are important. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Creator, for the blessings of this in all our days, we thank you, gracious God. We pray not just this offering, but all our lives freely offered in gratitude for all you have done for us. Use them both in this place and wherever you might take us. Amen. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord Holy Spirit you are welcome here come and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. 
And all of God's people said, Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have gathered together to worship God. We have gathered together to specifically talk about the role of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit of God, that aspect of who God is, is reshaping the world and in turn us so that we might participate in the process. God is reframing, God is helping expand our idea of what salvation history has been and how we are living into it together with our sleeves rolled up and our eyes cast forward. Thank you for joining us for worship today. I want to remind you, as I said early on in the service during the welcome, that next week we will participate in communion. I hope that when you arrive to worship next week, be it Sunday morning or after the fact, uh, any, any day or evening in the week of July 5th, that when you do come to worship, that you would bring communion elements to the table with you so that we might participate in it together. I want to remind you that before you leave your computer behind or whatever device you're, you're participating in worship with, uh, that you would please jump over to, the, uh, to our website and let us know that you worshiped with us today. It really helps us more than you could imagine. It serves as encouragement to those of us that are pouring so much time and energy into creating a, a meaningful way for us to gather together in this, this uh, unique, challenging moment of COVID-19. But also, it just lets us know who's with us. Who do we need to be praying for that we're not seeing engaged in the life of the community? And who has just showed up that we need to be aware of? And so, just take a moment, please, and let us know that you're here. And let us know if we can be praying with you about something or if you'd like to come and lead in worship. 
Last but not least, let me uh, share with you that in a little experimental period here for the next stretch of time, on Wednesday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you'll have an opportunity to participate in worship. We will effectively rebroadcast today's service. And we believe worship at its best, at its core, is always us doing it together. And so we, we are scheduling a unique block of time on our Facebook page where people are encouraged to gather together. We hope that makes it easier for some parents of young children or friends and family that call Tabernacle a second church home or somebody that just really needs uh, to experience worship again, whatever it may be. Join us at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the church Facebook page, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. There'll be a pastor there on on, uh, I don't even know how to say it, I guess, on the watch party on Facebook that will guide people through the experience. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to pass things off now to Meg, who will lead us out with a benediction. Blessings, friends. You're loved. As our blessing today, I'd like to read us one of Jan Richardson's pieces from her book, Circle of Grace. It's a book of blessings that cover the entire liturgical calendar. And this one is written for Pentecost. Today is not Pentecost, but it is a day we're talking about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in our lives. So it seems appropriate. Hear these words. Here's one thing that you must understand about this blessing. It is not for you alone. It is stubborn about this. Do not even try to lay hold of it if you are by yourself thinking you can carry it all. To bear this blessing, you must first take yourself to a place where everyone does not look like you or think like you. To a place where they do not believe precisely as you believe, where their thoughts and ideas and gestures are not the echoes of your own. Bring your sorrow and your grief and your fear. Bring your weariness and your pain, your disgust at how broken the world is, how fractured, how fragmented by its fighting and its wars and its hungers, by its penchant for power and its ceaseless repetition of the history it refuses to rise above. I will not tell you that this blessing will fix all of that, but in the place where you have gathered, wait, watch, listen, lay aside your inability to be surprised, your resistance to what you do not understand. See then whether this blessing turns to flame on your tongue and sets you to speaking what you cannot fathom or opens your ear to language beyond your imagining that comes as a knowing in your bones, a clarity in your heart that tells you this is the reason you were made for this ache that finally opens us for this struggle, this grace that scorches us toward one another into the blazing, beautiful day. Go in peace.